Hello and welcome. I'm Jody Carlson and your host today. I'm neurotypical, which means I'm not autistic, but I've spent my entire life in relationships loving people who are autistic. Moreover, I've spent the majority of my career educating about autism and helping couples bridge the gap in neurodiverse relationships. But this podcast is for you. It's a place to talk with me, to share your struggles, talk to me about your wins, your challenges, your victories, and also hear from other professionals who really get it and understand you. So what will we talk about today? Okay, so I've got a guest today here today that I'm I've been familiar with he's he he and I have known each other for gosh I don't know maybe a year year and a half now um and I'm excited that he uh agreed to join me on the podcast today so I'm just going to turn it over to you and let you introduce yourself to everybody well hello Jody it's good to see you or good to talk to you rather um name's Rob I live in Atlanta um um I'm enjoyed following your your group on facebook and some of your um some of your podcasts and everything and it's really helped me in some ways to really identify some of the areas in in me that i wanted to improve on because my whole life i've always wanted to have better relationships and and i've always been confused as to why why don't people like me more like whoever i was with like when i was married i was married twice before one time when I was very young in the army and then another time for 20 years and everyone I've always been with, they've always liked my wife or my partner more than me. Like when we would go out and meet with people, they would like them and not me. And when I would meet their families, for some reason, their families didn't like me. And I never understood why I never, because mm. I felt like I was nice to them. I responded to their questions. I, I, I wasn't unfriendly. I didn't say anything negative. I just, was myself. And for some reason, people didn't like that. And I never understood why until I, I have, like I said to you earlier, I have four sons and two of them have been diagnosed with, you know, being on the spectrum. Um, and in some ways are very similar to me. And I, that got me thinking, cause I always thought there was something and, and I always tried to help them because I learned, you know, I'm a 51 year old man. So I've learned just by experience, how to cope with some of these things that that other people don't like about us. And then, and for the same reason they didn't like them and I would help them, but I never understood until my younger, the younger one who was 14, um, was diagnosed with it. Um, and then it, it really became clear. And then I could just go on and on. And in one relationship I had, uh, for two years, the woman was very socially aware and she would always tell me there was something wrong with me. Like, there's something wrong with you. Why didn't you get up and hug that person? Why don't you smile more? Why don't you, why don't you, uh, why didn't you come in and, 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 and say hello to this person and that person, and that person before you said hello to me, because I was focused on seeing her and I could only focus on one thing at a time. And she was like, you, you just weren't raised right. There's something wrong with you. She thought it was something environmental. And, and then finally I realized it wasn't. And I started working on those things, being single. Um, you know, going on lots of dates and I would just go on a lots of dates just to meet people and work on my charisma. I'd look, I even looked up how to be charismatic and, and I figured out finally what I was missing was the warmth that other people have. And I didn't have that naturally. And then I had to work on that. I have to fake it, but I want to have those relationships. So it's worth it to me to do that. Although it's very exhausting. Anyway, that's sort of my story for now, but I'll let you. Well, you know, I think, 
your story is is one that I hear over and over and over and over again. The part about a child being diagnosed, and sometimes it's a grandchild being diagnosed, um, and then that recognition of wait a minute, okay, this is these traits. I recognize these traits. You know, a lot of times it's like, well, you know, you're a lot like dad, you're a lot like grandpa, you're like like a lot like grandma, and then there's this diagnosis that comes through, sometimes through the school system sometimes through a private psychologist, wherever it comes through. And then there's that moment when a parent or a grandparent, or sometimes it's, it's the partner of the parent that says, wait, that, this, this makes sense now. So what you've just described is what the experience of so many people has been. And I hear this all the time, every day. So I'm curious, you, you already uh, identified some of those traits uh, that, that you saw already in your boys. This boy, you have two boys, right? You said? Well, I have, I have four sons. and oh, two four, four. Okay, four. Well, I have come from that first marriage when I was younger, a 30-year-old and a 28-year-old, and then a 14 and an 8-year-old. And the 30-year-old and the 14-year-old uh, from the you know, two different marriages, um, both have been diagnosed with that. And the 30 year old really struggled with some mental health issues that mm -hmm. I think there are some issues that come with it. And I also take medication that helped me uh, a lot. Um, and so, so what was that like for you, Rob, when they, they did, you started seeing these, these diagnoses, uh, as on the, on the spectrum, what was that like for you when you started to realize, wait a minute, okay, this is, this is, this is that puzzle piece for me. Well, I mean, at first it was really, I was really, I felt really low, I guess about it. Like, oh, there has been something wrong with me this whole time. Like, and I, and then I would go back and I remember, and, and now I, I would come to understand, like, for example, I was starting to tell you, like when I was a child, I was in fourth grade. I remember every second. Clearly, I'm, I'm cursed with this memory where I remember everything. And and we were playing kickball, and I kicked the ball. I was safe on first base. And then the, a little girl hit me with the ball and said, you're out. I said, no, I'm safe. And the teacher came over. We were winning by a lot of runs. She said, well, just go ahead and go be out. I said, well, that's not the rules. The rules are I'm safe. So I couldn't, I couldn't like, function where, like, someone's not, where an authority figure is not following the rules. I didn't understand the, the gray area where the, she's trying to, like, make everyone feel good, you know? So I ran off into the woods and they had to call the police to come find me. And then they eventually found me. But unlike, unlike what's happening with my son, he gets help at school, he's on his plan. And with me, I got paddled by the principal for that, you know? And so all these, all these memories would, would come flooding back and like, where was my help? And I started feeling sorry for myself. And, and I was like, yeah, I, where was my help? Why didn't my parents care? Why didn't they help me get through all these things? And then I would, my life would have been a lot easier, but at the same time, it's like, well, I can't think about that anymore. You know, so that took like a month or, or so of like, just getting through that. And then eventually I was like, well, you know, I can't, I can't, I, I have to function now. And, and maybe my, my role is to understand everything and help my children now with the lessons that I learned from, from, from my life and also work on myself. I can be better. I can work on these things. I can do that. I want to have relationships. I want to have successful relationships. And I don't just mean intimate relationships with 
with my girlfriend, fiance, wife, I, those I've sort of been successful at. I can have a good, deep, intimate relationship with someone who gives me the time or takes the time to understand me. I can usually do that. Okay. It's the, the other relationships around us is her family and her friends and all these people. That's where I always struggled because they didn't like me and you didn't get an opportunity to get to know them in depth. You only see them for holidays or you only see them every once in a while. And if, if, if those people, your wife's family, your wife's friends don't like you, that puts a lot of pressure on her, right? They're like, don't, yeah. don't bring your husband around. Right. Don't bring him around because he's annoying. He just sits in the corner and doesn't talk to anybody. Or we don't understand. He always just sounds angry or he never smiles. What's wrong with him? You know, don't bring him around. You know, he depresses us. And, um, I, but see, I always wanted to not be that person. So I had to teach myself how to, to, to be around other people. So that wouldn't happen anymore. So you bring up a very, uh, a very good point, a dynamic that is, is a very common dynamic for couples that are in what we call neurodiverse relationships, where somebody is on the spectrum, autistic, neurodiverse, whatever word is the most comfortable for those of you who are listening. Um, this is a really common dynamic. You're saying, you know, my partner knows me. My partner gets to know the, the real me, the person who is not just an angry uh, person who isn't the, what they're misunderstanding me to be, but they don't get to know me that way because they don't get to spend time with me. They don't get to know who I really am. And so they're misunderstanding me and they just don't want to be around me. And then that puts a lot of pressure on her, whoever that partner is for, for and for the, the listeners that may be your wife, your girlfriend, your, your, um, and if you are a, a man who's in a relationship with a woman, um, you know, that may be you. And this dynamic is, is really common. And, and Rob, you're right. It puts pressure on them because now they're getting a lot of, of pushback from family. You know, I was just at a couple's retreat this weekend, actually, with a colleague. And I, I was a, a co-facilitator with her. And this was not a, a retreat for neurodiverse couples. But we were talking about how major of an influence our family members are on our couple relationships. And how they really oftentimes push us hard. And sometimes their investment in our relationship is more about them and their own comfort levels than about whether or not our own relationship is successful. And so you bring up a very real problem for neurodiverse partners. And podcasts like this, what, what you are coming here to say uh, the things that those of us who are in this industry trying to help educate the world more about this are so helpful because partners can say, look, go listen to this, hear this, this, this is who my partner is. This is, this is who I live with. This, this man is not, um, just an angry person. This is not a, a mean person. This is, this is not, this person's not heart hurt, hurting me. This, you know, this is, this is what, this is who my, my partner is. And so sharing that I think is really helpful. Go ahead. Like one of the biggest examples, just to kind of like, this is just a, a, a an example, like a, a, a microcosm is like when a lot of people think there's something wrong with you. If you're not smiling, they want you to smile. Like, why are you smiling? Smile. You'll be happier. 
you know, and the reason they, people want you to smile is because it makes them feel better. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Cause they want to be around someone who smiles because it makes them feel better. Whereas I'm not, just because I'm not smiling doesn't mean I'm unhappy. I'm emotionally neutral. That's why I'm not smiling. I think other people, like they, they smile even when they're emotionally neutral or maybe they're never emotionally neutral. I don't know. I know for me, my, my default face is not to have a smile on it. And I don't feel comfortable smiling unless I really have a good reason to smile unless I'm happy. But to me, being emotion, being neutral is okay. I don't understand what's wrong with just being neutral. It doesn't mean I'm unhappy. doesn't mean I'm ecstatically happy. It just means I'm, I'm content. I'm feeling good. That's fine. And I don't smile for that. But other people, they don't like that. It makes them uncomfortable. Why are you grumpy? Why are you look angry? I'm not, I'm just me. I'm just yeah. sitting here. Like, I don't yeah. understand. And, and then so what, what you just brought up is actually, yes. So, so what, you, what you're talking about is where we start to, uh, when I talk about how we have different languages. Uh, so the neurotypical or non-autistic um, language, part of, part of the language that is spoken by non-autistic or neurotypical individuals is that those facial expressions it's very subtle. It's very, it's something that, that, so I am neurotypical, as you know, it's something that it would, it's hard for me even to articulate. Most people who are not autistic would have a harder time even putting into words how we read those expressions from a very, it's a very um, subtle subconscious language that we learn when we're babies. And we, we look to faces for information and it's not just about making us feel better. It's about information. It's about getting information from the people around us about their state of mind, their mood, their, their, what it's, it's communication and research that we have studied this. We've looked at young babies and whether or not they look at faces to get information. And we've looked at babies that are eventually diagnosed with autism and babies that are not. And we know that, that autistic children did not and still do not more often than not look at faces for information, it, just for, even from infancy. We don't know why. And we know that, that this happens, but we don't know why. And that non-autistic babies do look at faces for information. So this is a language that I often talk about that is not as spoken by the autistic population like yourselves. It's just not spoken. And so when a non-autistic person is having a conversation or is in the presence of someone who is autistic, it's a very subconscious thing to be looking at those at your face for that information. And if, if what we see on an autistic person's face is what we interpret, uh, without even realizing as, as anger or uh, displeasure or irritation, um, then that's, that's how it's interpreted. Whereas for someone like yourself, and, and I hear, hear this from all uh, you know, my autistic folks, exactly what you just said. I don't, you know, I, it doesn't mean that I'm angry. It doesn't mean that I'm upset. I'm neutral, like you just said. This is where the communication divide happens. This is one of them. There, there are several. It, this is where it happens and people don't know it. They, they're not aware that, that we're not speaking the same language. And so it's so confusing 
because and that that's you know all the question you know why why do you look like that why don't why shouldn't i look like this i'm you know and so two people who don't know someone's autistic and someone's not are are not understanding these these facial expressions it's so confusing and and, and it just starts to rip a tear into that relationship and and that's why knowing once people know okay i'm autistic and you're not and let's let's learn what this means it's huge for couples and not just couples but just in 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 interactions with just the world and in, in general and with other people to know this is a difference that it's it's not that someone's right or someone's wrong or there's a right way to communicate or a wrong way but it's different and so it's so helpful to have that framework sometimes so that you can't communicate like you just said I'm just neutral. I'm not angry. I'm not mad. I'm just neutral. And so you can communicate that to people now. Maybe you're here today because you suspect your partner's autistic, or maybe you're autistic yourself, or maybe you just don't know, and you don't really know what to do next. And that's exactly what my basic consultation is for. I do offer assessments for individuals and couples, but if you're not ready for all of that, you can book a consultation appointment with me and we'll talk about your current situation, whether that's a relationship you're in or if you're dating and, and single and, and don't really understand why your relationships don't ever work out or maybe you can't even get them started. We'll talk about all of that. So book a basic consultation appointment with me today and we'll get you some clarity. The link is in the description. I mean, that's part of it, but like, like I said, I was in this really difficult relationship with a woman who's very socially aware. And she would always tell me, look, we can't, our, as a couple, we can't exist in a bubble. You need to be able to, to be around my friends and family. You, they need to want you around. And you need to be more like this person. You need to be more like that person. They approached the point of being almost abusive, I think. But she was right in lots of ways. And I, and look, if you're going to go to Spain, and you only speak English, you're not going to fit in. You need to know Spanish. So I tried to teach myself the language that the other people speak. And I can do that. I'm doing it right now. I'm raising and lowering my voice on purpose. Um, I don't normally talk that way. Some, it, it takes practice. And I had to practice a different language. When I go and I shake someone's hand and I say hello, I put a smile on my face. I, I try to sound warm and even, it sound, it feels funny to me even, Hey, how are you? It's so good to see you. feels funny to me, but to other, but it really isn't. It, if you watch it from the outside, if you videotape yourself, you look like everybody else. To me, it feels like I'm being t like a clown in a circus. I'm That's so glad that you said you, I'm so glad that you said this because I've used almost this exact analogy of fluency, language fluency in my other some other videos because it is it is learning a language and not being fluent in it the the language of facial expression the language of vocal tone even the language of emotion and so i use the analogy when i've talked about this before of how i took french in high school and a, a, a semester or so in college and so i know some words i know some expressions i probably don't know many now because it's been years but i went to france not too long after I took French and I, I tried to speak French in a, in a Parisian cafe and, and I was nowhere near fluent. And I remember that the server just looked at me and he said, just speak English. <laughs> he was more fluent in English than I was in French. 
And I was really disappointed that, that in that experience. But like you said, if I had lived there, if I'd moved there, I, I would have needed to work harder on becoming more fluent in, in the French language. It's so similar in that autistic folks are not fluent in, in those facial expressions and in the, the, the language, the emotion words, and even recognizing emotion and using, using emotional expressions. And what you just said about learning it, even though it feels fake to you, it is the language that the neurotypical folks around you are speaking. And I love that you said that, that you recognize that it's something that is important for you to learn to do. It's not that there's anything wrong with you necessarily, but in order to have those relationships with other people, it is an important thing for you to try to do. Just like if I move to France, I really need, it's, it's on me to learn how to speak French better. Right. And, and if you talk to anyone about learning a foreign language, they'll say, well, look, to really do it, you need immersion. You need to go there and you need to be in it and hear only that language and soon, and you'll pick it up a lot better and a lot faster. So after watching these other people interact, it's like, wow, she's really good at making people feel comfortable and welcome around her and watching how she did it. I would go practice it and I would, I would use dating to practice it. I would meet people one-on-one -on -one and I would practice it then. And then I would go to meetups where I knew no one and I would go and I would socialize with people I never met before. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's like the Super Bowl of, of social practice is to go into a party or something where, you know, no one and try to talk with somebody. And then I would lead my own meetups. I would, but I would do things where I was comfortable. Like I'm really good at hiking. And, um, and so I would lead a group hike where I was in charge of it. And I had to talk to everyone and make everyone feel comfortable coming on this group event with me. Like I would force myself to practice it. I would immerse myself in these social situations where I was forced to act in a way just like everyone else, this, to smile and welcome them and be warm and introduce them to other people. And I made lots of friends doing that and it works. It really does work. And it just takes lots of practice to the point where it, it is almost second nature because you've immersed yourself. And in fact, sometimes if I go a few weeks without doing it, I'll get out of practice and uh, I'll go to another, I'll, I did a group hike this past week and I wasn't as friendly as I should have been. Um, just cause just to get out of practice, it just takes practice and it's okay. As much as I would love for everyone to say, okay, we get it. It's good to be neurodiverse. It's like, it's good to have brown hair or dark skin or, or whatever that would, I would love for people to, to treat people who are neurodiverse that way, but it, it, you just, it's probably not going to happen anytime soon because it's hard to see and it's hard to know. And it's not as, as, as advertised. So, um, I would love, but I would love more acceptance, but until that happens, you need to learn. I just feel like you need to learn the language that everyone else speaks. If you want to have these relationships outside your immediate relationship, if you want right. people to like you and you can't have only your partner be your one and only relationship, there's too much pressure on her. Too much. Like, yeah, that was the so, other thing ever in my life. Is I, I, that's what my, my partner, my wife, my girlfriend was my social life. And that's not fair to her. So. I, I totally agree with you there, there. And so two things I want to just uh, emphasize about what you just said. One is you said, I chose something that I like. So I'm already comfortable. I'm already in my comfort zone. You love to the start thing. with. Right. Yes. 
So you don't want to choose an activity that you're already out of your your comfort zone and and you're you're already dealing with, you know, a lot of sensory overwhelm and social overwhelm. You pick something that, that's already maybe a special interest and find a way to to push yourself out of your other comfort zones, your social comfort zones. I love the way you did that and set that up. That's very encouraging and very good advice to the folks listening who are autistic. The second thing you said was if you want that social, you, know, you want the friends, you want to be, uh, you want those relationships, it would be, you know, it's great that awareness is being raised and that, that the world is learning more about autism. I mean, we know so much more now than we did 10 years, 20 years ago, but we still have to learn to, you know, we have to, you know, we, we know a lot about going back to the, the French analogy. And anyway, we know a lot about France, but I still, if I'm going to go live there, I still need to learn how to speak French, no matter how much awareness we have. If we're going to interact and be in relationships with each other, we can be as aware as possible, but we still have to learn how to interact and how to do that. And we have to learn to try to speak those languages. And I also want to, to speak to my, my neurotypical listeners and say, if you have, well, not even if, you do, you do have autistic people in your life. 100% you do. There are autistic people everywhere. They're all around us. They're all in my life. I, I meet new people constantly that are autistic on the spectrum. So it's also our responsibility to learn how to speak their language as well. And that's part of that awareness. And so if you meet and know, if you have a partner, if you have, if your children have friends, if you have a child, it's not just their responsibility to, to come to us and speak our language. It's also our responsibility to learn more about them and to speak their language. This is a two-way street. This is not just one way. Well, that's one thing my fiance is good about. Like if I go to visit her and I'm there to see her, I, whenever I do something like that, I tend to get like tunnel vision. Like I'm going to see her. I'm going to see her. She's like, make sure to say hello to my mom or make sure to, to go hug my daughter or something like that. Like she's very good at reminding me that there are other people around and I need to socialize with them as well. And, yeah. And so that's, so that's a part of it. Well, and, uh, so I, I, let, let's stop there, Rob. I think that's been a, uh, a, just a, a good place to end. And uh, I know before we got on the call, you said there's so much, there's so much, there's so much, and there really is. So I really would like to in, in, invite you to come back anytime and, and be on the podcast if, with everything else you'd like to share. I think you have a lot, a lot to offer our listeners because there are other people who are at a very different stage of this than you. There are people who are just now figuring this out. And in that kind of place of where was my help and why didn't I get any help and more depressed about it and sad and not, you know, where do I go from here? And um, it's very helpful for people to hear from people like you who are for a little bit further down the road and understanding this a little more. So, you know, I'd love to have you back anytime. I'm happy to help and, and then hopefully it reaches some people and they can see that you know, there are things you can do about it. It just, you know, it takes steps. And, and then I went to therapy, I go to therapy and I go there to work on relationship skills and, and I work at it. I work at it hard because I want to have those relationships and, and it does work. It, it can help and you can get there. Absolutely. Totally agreed on that. 
All right. Well, thanks so much. And, and hopefully we'll talk again soon. You're welcome. Happy to. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Bye. Remember to tune in each week for a new episode of your neurodiverse relationship podcast. Now, remember, this is your podcast and I want to talk to you. Share with me your personal experiences with neurodiversity. If you're a professional working with autism, I'd also like to talk to you. To be a guest on the show, the link is in the episode description where you can book a time for a recorded chat with me. Also, be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you won't miss any of the wonderful conversations we're having here and the relationship insights and tips that I have for you. Until next time.